yeah, uh, Brian, I'm, I'm so pleased to be back. Um, as you know, like I'm always kind of busy with something or other. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've got like a music video in production and uh, I'm working with Pedro Augusto Almeida. He's a, a, a highly acclaimed Portuguese film, filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And he uh, filmed me like all day, like in a studio and then out of a studio at a place called Sende, with Portugal Sende, which is a co-working space. Mm -hmm. And I met the people that ran there and we were out like in a forest and so they were filming me in the forest and I'm, and my, and my song by the way is Mother Nature Rap. And so I'm, I'm actually pictured in Mother Nature in a wood, like rapping and singing. And then we finished it all uh, in the dark, like in the evening, like uh, they had like lighting. And so I'm, uh, I, again, I'm dancing and rapping and to the camera. And then, then we finished the whole thing with a video projection behind me, a psychedelic projection. Mm -hmm. And the director, Pedro, he wanted me to put my arms up like this. So I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And that was like the closing scene. And then, but I haven't seen, you know, what they've done with it. But basically what's happening is that they're editing all this together mm -hmm. and it should be ready for the 21st of March. Yeah. which is actually my birthday. It's also the first day of spring. Yeah, the birthday. Birthday. Wow. And uh, I just thought that was a good day for this to, to actually go out. So the release mm -hmm. for Mother Nature rap will be then. But that's my most exciting uh, thing on the go. Mm -hmm. But I've got, I mean, I always have like lots of things on the go. I've also got like a butterfly book, which is in, uh, in production. And this book will be going out later this year. And it's called The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. So I'm quite excited about that as well, because it's all, you know, it's all been approved and basically the text has all been gone through and we're just deciding on the cover now and I'm collecting endorsements. So that's something else on the go. Wow. And, and I've got, I think maybe you even know about this. I've got a song, Time for Ocean Aid. And that song, there was a recording made of it, which I, I recorded it over here. I sent it to my friend Crum in, in Cardiff in Wales, and Crum used to be in Hawkwind, so that's his claim to fame, if you like, but he's also been in various other bands. He's in a band called Star Rats at the moment. Anyway, Crum is, is known for being a synthesizer player. He's, you know, he's a synth wizard, if you like, okay? So he, he dubbed some synthesizer and some piano onto my song, which was recorded here, which is basically just like a, an acoustic uh, song. And uh, somebody else in his band, Daz, has made like a video to go with this. So it's a kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, like a kind of a synth wave, folk, um, psychedelic uh, protest song, possibly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, we have a video of that, and that's out, and that's had some really good reviews. And, uh, and as you now know, I'm following that with... Mother Nature rap, which again, also Crumb is on that as well. He added synthesizer to it. Mm -hmm. And that was, if you like, uh, a link to why we had like a psychedelic background at the end of all this. And it's very psychedelic. It's got me yeah. doing all this kind of dancing, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I'm looking completely psych. I've got a psychedelic shirt on and a strange coat. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's going like, I think like maybe as psychedelic as we can get it. Um, but also, you know, as I say, filmed in different locations and in the forest and, and, and it's whatever, you know, Pedro and his team put together now, you know, for the, uh, the, final, the final edit, you know, and how this is going to look. So that's going to be like, that's very exciting for me. But, um, 
those are those are the main things like on the go at the moment that's excellent and you know what me and my excitement i'm I'm an excitable person. I tell everybody, we're talking with um, Steve Andrews, the Bard of Ely, um, again. This time, Steve, um, first time when we spoke with Steve, he was telling, um, we asked that question, where does all the plastic go? So you guys make sure you check out that video. And um, this time, we're going to be speaking to Steve about um, pyramids, um, ancient civilizations. Um, let's see, I got my notes here. Who did Guan, I say the Guancha, the Guancha, how you pronounce that? The, the Guanches. Guanches people. And then um, there's another one of the, what is it, the Tenel, how do you pronounce that? The Tenelaf, Tenelafi? The, uh, well, the island, Tenerife. Ten, Tenerife, yeah. Tenerife, but then, you know, if you're, if you're Portuguese or Spanish, you say Tenerife. Um, ah. Also, which I found out when I was living on Tenerife, some of the people mm. over there say the Guanches, because they, they pronounce the G-U as a, as a, a, a what sound. Understood. Um, but, you know, that, that's a kind of variation in Spanish because, you know, it, in fact, uh, there's a whole lot. Of, I mean, I learned, or rather I tried to learn Spanish before I went to live there. Mm -hmm. And then I found that, you know, the Spanish I had learned wasn't actually correct for the, the way that they actually speak in, in the, the Canary Islands. And uh, the, the G, talking about the GU, the GUA sound, mm -hmm. um, they have buses in, in Tenerife near the Canary Islands that they call Wawa, uh, which is GUA, GUA, and you pronounce that Wawa. And that's like a really weird word because it's, like, it's not really Spanish. I don't know what it is, but right. you know, when you live there, you get used to all this kind of stuff and, and you get used to like going on a Wawa. Um, you know, just thinking of. Oh, sorry about that. I was just thinking, um, Spanish word for water. Isn't that um, like what well, we would say aqua, but I think they say agua. agua. Yeah, agua. but yeah. Yeah, agua. Yeah. yeah, I did. I think they say agua, well, something like that. Yeah. Agua, agua. Yeah, and it's the same in Portuguese, agua. Understood. Now, Steve, you have an interesting background. <laughs> Explaining what you got going on back there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, this one you can see, that you, you can see behind me like a, yes. a pyramid construction and you can also see right in the background maybe mm -hmm. can you see like a white peak of a mountain yes and and you can also see like palm trees and stuff well what where this actually was was a place um well the name of the road is the camino de la suerte mm -hmm. which is basically the pathway or the, or the, the road of the luck la, la suerte is luck mm -hmm. and uh it's just outside um a small seaside village, which is called Playa de San Marcos, which is where I was living. And I came across this pyramid within the second day of living there. I just went walking about in my neighborhood and I went down this little kind of side road and, mm -hmm. and there was banana plantations, which is essentially in. And then I saw this pyramid thing kind of looming over it all. I thought, wow, look at that. And that was how I discovered that, that particular pyramid. And so this pyramid is in, as I say, it's, it, it's, well, it's off rather, off the road, Camino de la Suerte, which is near Playa de San Marcos. And it's in a banana plantation, which is owned by a farmer. And uh, that is actually something quite strange about a lot of uh, the, the pyramids in, in Tenerife, that they're, they're on like farmland or where, so they're not really protected. And uh, which brings me to another matter that, I, I discovered, and that, that's like, um, that's a pyramid, as I say, that's on farmland. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. so anybody could walk along that road and see it. Um, uh, it is, it's thought, and I'm pretty sure this is also correct, that there used to be lots of these constructions on the island, but they've been destroyed because people, you know, they had a farm on, on, and for whatever reason, they didn't want this thing in the way, mm -hmm. or maybe somebody wanted to make a road through somewhere, or, or maybe they wanted to make a shopping center, or whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. They got rid of these constructions which were there. Wow. So uh, I think the island has lost like a lot of these pyramid constructions. But, um, and these were the first ones I found out about, Mm -hmm. On the other side of the island, there is a place called the Ethnographic Park of Guimar, or Guimar, um, and Guimar is a, is, a, is, a, is a big town, or maybe it's a city, I'm not sure, but anyway, uh, it's on the other side of the island, and Thor Heyerdahl, who was very famous for being, uh, he was a Norwegian explorer, mm -hmm. and he, uh, he was famous for a raft called the Kontiki, which he sailed across the ocean, which you may have heard about. Uh, anyway, um, the story is that Thor Heyerdahl had heard about there were these pyramid constructions on Tenerife mm. in a, a newspaper which came out from Tenerife. So he went over to the island and, and he went to see these, these pyramid constructions in Guimar. And he, he, he thought, yeah, these are real. These are like step pyramids that he'd seen elsewhere on his travels in the world. And he was so fascinated with the whole thing that he actually moved there. So Thor Heyerdahl moved to Tenerife and he lived the last decade of his life in Guimar. And he befriended a guy called Fred Olsen. Fred Olsen, very wealthy man, he, he runs the, the ferries between the islands, the Canary Islands. And uh, the pyramids at, at, at that stage, which were on this land in, in Guimar, were, as I was saying, they were not protected. In fact, there were talks about developing the land or whatever. But he got Fred Olsen to put down a lot of money and they bought the land with the pyramids on it. And then they built what they call the ethnographic park. So I, I freely admit it's all been cleaned up. You know, this is not as it was, mm -hmm. but the constructions are as it was. So there were these six pyramid constructions there. They're still there. Mm -hmm. They've built like pathways around there and a garden section. And a, 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 um, even a, like a little cinema where you can see a film about Thor Heyerdahl mm. and, a, and a gift shop and a restaurant and all, all this stuff you'd expect for um, a kind of a visitor's center. Uh, but anyway, what happened with me is I, I went to that, that, that visitor's center at the ethnographic park and I went mm. to do my little walk around the pyramids and, and I saw all that and that was my introduction to the pyramids of Tenerife and the Guanches. And uh, the whole thing about the Guanches is that there were, and it's an ongoing debate. Mm. Um, on the one side, there were the people who say the Guanches made these pyramids. Um, then on the other side of the debate, uh, and the archaeologists are, are saying this, because there's a professor of archaeology, and he says, no, no, that they're, they're not real pyramids at all. They were piles of stones that the, the, the Spanish farmers put there when they were clearing their land. And he sticks with this opinion because he's an archaeology professor. People say, oh, well, he's an archaeology professor. He would know. And so that must be what it is. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually see these constructions, you think, oh, wow, that, that's a pile of stones. You know, it, it doesn't look like a, it looks like, it, you know, it's got step levels. Yeah, it looks like step pyramids. Yes. Yeah. You, you could have spent weeks or something putting it together, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've taken people to see some of these pyramids mm -hmm. and they haven't. You know, they haven't known anything about them and they go, oh, wow, look at that. I didn't know there was anything like this. And so 
And so the average person seeing one is not going to say, oh, that's just a pile of stones, the farmers through it, it, it doesn't kind of add up. Right. But as I say, because this man is a, an archaeology professor, Professor, uh, professor Gasper, his name is, um, that people will agree with him because he's well known as an academic. Mm. So that's the ones. And then there's another side to all this, which is that the Freemasons made these, uh, made these pyramid constructions. But uh, no one has really kind of has come forward to say, yes, yes, the Freemasons did it. No, and no, there Steve. Been like a lot of a lot of sorry a lot of a lot of debate about you know when were they made mm -hmm. and we don't really know when they were made. But um, well, the well, Steve, who, who were the um, original inhabitants? Um, didn't the, the, um, the those people? Um, they said they were Berbers. They said it might have been Berber people who originally came there. You know anything yes, about yes, that? Yes, that, yes, that, that's right. Yeah, the, there was this general mystery about um, how, who were the Guanches and how did they get there. Mm -hmm. And the mystery, part of the mystery was because these people were white people. Um, you know, people were saying, well, it's near Africa, the Canary Islands are near Africa. Uh, wouldn't the people have, have, have been like black people, you know, if they come from Africa? And in fact, what is happening today is you do get immigrants from Africa coming over in boats. And, and that's another problem, like, the, you know, the, the um, illegal immigrants coming on boats. And they're black people and they come from Africa. And so the idea that um, people coming from Africa to have gone there, being white people, mm -hmm. didn't make that much sense for some right. people. But, but, and this is an important but, mm -hmm. there were a lot of white people known as the Berber people mm -hmm. who live in North Africa, in, in Libya and in Ethiopia and some of the other, you know, the, the northern parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. And so what a lot of, um, again, Academic people were saying, academic people were saying that the Guanches were descendants of the Berbers and the Berbers people are white. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is thought that um, they come from Libya. That was, that was more or less decided upon by the academics that the mm -hmm. Guanches are descendants of the Berbers from Libya. But then, then the question then is, well, how did they get there? And that has never really been answered uh, so that everybody is going to agree on it because the Guanches didn't have any boats. Right. And uh, the Guanches from, oh, the only records that we've got about how the, the Guanches actually lived and were and what they believed and whatever, were told by the, uh, the, the Catholics who, who were uh, the people who, who conquered them. So the Spanish uh, conquerors basically kept the records of, of, of whatever they wanted to say about the Guanches. Mm -hmm. And, and the story is very similar to what happened in Central America and South America, is that uh, in this case, the Spanish went there and they, they found these Guanche people there and they wanted to convert them to Catholicism or they wanted to kill them or make slaves of them or whatever. And mm -hmm. so they wanted to basically destroy their culture, which they effectively did, but it took them a long time and because uh, what happened with the, the Guanches retreated into the mountains, which they knew, and so they weren't so easy to just, you know, um, basically invade and, and conquer. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stories about all that, but what I'm trying to say is that mm -hmm. the, the only real record we have of them his, historically as records mm -hmm. is what the Spanish, uh, you know, the conquerors actually wrote. But... Um, so they're extinct now? Yeah, sorry. The people, they're extinct now. I mean, been fully assimilated, I guess, by now. Yes, 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 that, that happened. But I, but I mean, obviously, some the bloodline as such, because, uh, you know, the, the Guanxi women were, were kind of ended up kind of married to the Spanish conquerors. Mm 
mm-hmm. uh, forcibly or, or however. Right. Right. But basically, like, you know, children were born of, of, this, of, of this union so that there were people who still carry the, the Guanxi, uh, the, the, the genes, the, the bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these may live on, on, on the Canary Islands. Some of them live, we don't really know. You know, I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it was never really um, something that, that, that was kind of, you know, kept a record of. But uh, it has also caused like some people like in, in the Canary Islands to say, oh, we are Guanches or, you know, we have the Guanche bloodline or what. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. But um, what we do know is that there were different Guanches uh, peoples living on the different islands. And what we also do know is they didn't have any boats. So there was no communication between one island and another. We do also know that, um, see, so a lot of people are trying to say that the Guanches were white people and also that they had blonde hair and blue eyes. This mm-hmm. is not true. Some of them might have had blue eyes and blonde hair, but a, a lot of them also had like brown eyes and, and, and dark hair and were like Mediterranean peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this idea about them, uh, I mean, there's even this idea that they were Vikings, Vikings, that, you know, Scandinavians right. with blonde blonde hair and blue eyes, they got there somehow. That one's almost been thrown out. Uh, there was another, like, a, a theory that they're actually Atlanteans, that they were survivors of the Atlanteans that happened to be living on the Canary Islands, which is all that was left, that they're the mountains, yeah. That's another idea. That idea has almost been thrown out as well. Oh, really? And the, the idea which has is, which is held the most sort of ground is that they were descendants of the Berbers. How they got there has not been established. Mm-hmm. There is the theory that the Romans brought them there. And that's got like a lot of following on that. A lot of people think, yes, okay, that's what happened. The Romans brought the, these Berber people there and left them on the islands. Why they left them on the islands, we don't know. Mm-hmm. What relationship they had to them, we don't know. But uh, that is one uh, one of the, the the answers to how they got there. It, it seemed like the time frame may be off um, with the with that Roman theory hypothesis, whatever. Um, let me see. All of this supposedly took past was about a thousand years before Christ, or something like that. Is there any dating or anybody tried to date those um, step pyramids to see perhaps when yeah, they were yeah, constructed? Yeah, 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 that's part of the problem that people have tried to have tried to to, to date these pyramids. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a piece of pottery. I mean, this is like an ongoing, it's an ongoing, it depends who you talk to almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, a piece of pottery was found on one level of one of these pyramids in, uh, in the Guimar Ethnographic Park. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so what they were saying is because this piece of pottery was found, that it means that the, the, the pyramids must have been made after, after the, the date of this, of this piece of pottery, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument against that is that there were actually other levels below where this piece of, of pottery was found. Mm-hmm. And, and so it doesn't really prove anything. And it was only the one on the one particular pyramid which was investigated. Right. Uh, and um, now the, the, the Philip Coppins, who you may have heard of, or may, he, was also, he was involved with the Ancient Aliens, uh, the, the TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip was, a, was an author. Uh, Philip passed away some years ago, so we can't actually like consult Philip right now, but I, I knew him and he came over to the islands. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he was also, well, actually, um, he's got like a lot of books out, but 
Um, he, he did write about me and he wrote about the Tenerife pyramids and some other constructions that I showed him over there. Yeah. And he, he thought that they, yes, they were authentic. Um, he went to the Guimar Ethnographic Park and he had some discussion with somebody there who was basically saying, well, I, I'm just trying to explain to you that, that, um, that the, the, the investigations that had been done didn't prove that they were made in the 19th century or after, that they could have been made before then. And they, uh, Thor Heyerdahl and Fred Olson and the people who were in charge of the ethnographic park, if you, if you go there and you, you paid your fee to go in, you can go and walk around, explore the place. Mm -hmm. They have like um, question mark symbols, you know, um, buy an information plaque. So mm -hmm. basically they're, they're not saying for sure, they're not saying, look, you know, the, the Guanxi's definitely made these constructions you're seeing. Mm -hmm. They're saying, yes, there is a debate and you make up your own mind. And so we put this question mark. Understood. Tell me something, Steve, uh, is there um, um, any of the remnants of the language of those people? Because I figured if you can look at their language, you may see similarities from some other type of people. Like they said they were Berbers, um, then there may be some connection or, or similarities between the languages. Do you know anything about that? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, uh, I, I do actually, yeah. There, there is a similarity between the languages from, uh, from North Africa. Mm. And uh, the, there's also some of the, the, the place names which are in Tenerife, for example, Takaronte. That, that is um, uh, a Guanche word. And there were, there's, a, there's actually a lot of, a lot of, of um, investigation, if you like, has been done about the, uh, the Guanche language, the words, and, um, and, and, and the, the links with, with North, Af North, Af North African Berber people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even the word that I started talking to you about, about the Wawa, a, a bus, right, right. Yeah, that is believed to, to have come from Guanxi, uh, the Guanxi language. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, 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 whole, the whole thing is basically kind of, um, none of it's been like, you know, established. We can't mm -hmm. say for sure. Yes, this is how they got there. This is this is the this is how they spoke. This is what they did. It's all very much um, tied up in being like a mystery. Mm. Um, but you know, for me, when I I'm just trying to come back to me. Like when mm. I when I first moved to Tenerife, I found out about this, and I was because I'm like a lot of people. I, I didn't know there were pyramids on, on Tenerife. Mm -hmm. I thought, yes, there's pyramids in Egypt. That's those the famous ones. And then there are some step pyramids elsewhere in the world. And I heard about them, but mm -hmm. I didn't know about these pyramids in, in, in Tenerife. And like what became important for me was, as I said earlier, that yes, sure, Fred Olsen and Thor Heyerdahl, they bought this ethnographic park. They constructed that, they owned the land. And they tidied all that up. What I found out was that there were other, other pyramids, like this one you can see behind me, in other parts of the island that had not been tidied up and that you didn't have to pay an admission fee to go into the ground to see them. You could just go, go there and find them if you knew where they were. And some of them are as impressive, if not more impressive, than the ones in the ethnographic park in Guimar. There's a, a little village called Santa Barbara and there, is, uh, there were several of these pyramid constructions there. And there's one which is really big. And again, it's in, in some farmland. 
and so, so, you know, when I first went there, I, I, I was like, wow, look at these, look at... And so what I'm saying is that there are pyramids you can see for free in Tenerife, and there are pyramids you can pay to see in the ethnographic park in Guimar. And the ones in the ethnographic park in Guimar uh, get publicity because, you know, there were flyers printed with come to the, see the ethnic, oh, all this kind of stuff, and tourists go there. And then there are these other ones that people don't really know about unless they happen to live in the area or, or, or that they're like me, they're particularly right. interested. Mm -hmm. They go to find out. Um, yeah, two and, questions on Steve. When you said um, that um, the other ones are more impressive, in, in what way are they more impressive? Well, uh, size-wise, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I, no, I, I can't really. Um, mm -hmm. I, actually, if you Google all this, you, you will actually find like photos that I've shared. And mm -hmm. um, I, I did like an article for Ancient Origins website. Mm -hmm. And the, the article was called, actually, I stood in this time. Yeah, if you, if, you look, if you Google Ancient Origins, Steve mm -hmm. Andrews and the Mystery of the Guanches and Pyramids of Tenerife. Okay. Um, I think I, put, I, put, I shared uh, photos in there of the Santa Barbara okay. pyramid. We'll add this um, to, the, um, to the video later. Yeah, okay, yeah, thank, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, there's also, um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna say that the, the people who live in Santa Barbara know about mm -hmm. this and, and there is a cake shop there. Uh, which has got, you know, the name of it is, is to do with, with, with pyramids. Mm -hmm. And uh, even and if you get a bus and you travel through this village of Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. you can see, like, you know, one of the one of this big pyramid. If you look out the bus, you say, oh, look at that over there. So they're not that difficult to find. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you if you know that they're there, but most people don't know anything about this. And if you go to the south of the, and, and Tenerife is like a strange place because there were like, it's almost like two islands in one, which people don't, don't realize this. And if you're a tourist, if you come from the UK, or maybe if you come from Germany or any of the European countries that go there, the airlines as such um, funnel you to go down to the south, to the tourist resorts. There are, there's a big tourist resort, Las Americas and Los Cristianos on, on the, the, the coast in the south. And it's basically the reasoning is that it's hot and, and, and dry and you get a lot of sun down there and there's beaches down there. And this is what tourists want. Fair mm -hmm. enough. Right. So there's a lot of bars down there and tourist establishments down there. And, and that's where most people go. Like most holiday makers, say from Britain, mm -hmm. they go down the south to these tourist resorts. Um, and if you, if you do that, you don't hear anything about the ethnographic park of Weimar, which is up through, much further up on the island. And you also don't see a lot of, you know, the kind of the country, countryside you can see here in this photo of me. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't see that. You don't see it with the banana plantations and you don't see much of the, you, you see Mount Tady because you can see that from everywhere on the island. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you go to the north of the island, the climate's very different. They have far more rain up there. Um, there's, there's far more like farmland and uh, there's a lot of mountain, there are cloud forests up there. Which, uh, which are like really weird. I mean, like, the cloud forests, you know, you can, you can travel literally half an hour on a bus mm. from a, a hot sunny place on the coast 
get out in the cloud forests and, and it's quite cold, you know, and, and your clothing gets like wet very quickly because the cloud is so thick and uh -huh. you can't see very far because the, the cloud is so thick and the trees have all got like lichens and mosses growing right. on them and the floor is all green and ferns and stuff. And, and it's like, um, what I'm trying to say is that people from the south of Tenerife don't know anything about that. People mm -hmm. who go to the tourist resort. And so what I discovered when I was living there was that if you jump on the bus, you can travel around the island and you can find all kinds of amazing locations there. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, it changes like very dramatically from one place to another. So there are what you call microclimates, a lot of different microclimates. Mm -hmm. And the north of the island is very different to the south, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and so I went out like investigating and, and there was... I used to write, I used to write for various uh, Tenerife newspapers and also for a Tenerife magazine at one point. And so, like, I used to get my stories by just getting on the bus, go somewhere and, you know, take mm -hmm. some pictures of it, find out about it and, and write that up. So for me, it was amazing. It was like a completely, like, magical island with, with right. so much amazing stuff to, to look into. And, um, but, the, the, you know, getting back to the Guanches, the, the, there was a lot, of, you know, that is known about them. They were known that they lived in caves a lot of the times oh, and that no. they were, they were hunter gatherer people, basically. They also mm -hmm. did some basic farming. They had, um, they had various domestic animals and, and they moved about on the islands. They also um, had a system whereby like one area of the island was for one lot of Guanches, another area, another area was almost like a tribal system that they had like different territories. Mm -hmm. They had like, uh, people who was in charge of each tribe as such was called a mense. Mm -hmm. So they had like these different areas around the island. I presume that they used to trade amongst, amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. And they moved about the islands and they, they were mainly hunter-gatherers. Right. Um, they used to live in caves, which was in a way one of the only places they could live there because they, they didn't have, this, was, this is really important, mm -hmm. they didn't have access to metal because there was, it's, a vol, it's a volcanic island. Uh, the Canary Islands are all volcanoes mm -hmm. and there was no metal there. So they didn't have iron. They didn't have, so um, it, it's been said that the Guanches were like Stone Age people. In some ways they were because they, they had to be, they didn't have any metal. So they mm -hmm. couldn't, you know, um, they didn't have anything you could make with metal. So they only had stones and wood. Um, but but they had, uh, they, they did make pottery. And they also, something I talk about is that they obviously, they didn't stand kind of geometric patterns. Uh, they had things which were called pintaderas, which were um, a stamp, like a seal, that was put mm -hmm. on, on drying clay on, on a grain store where they had like, you know, wheat or some type of cereal. They, they had a store of this. Mm -hmm. They would stamp that with a pintadera. Some of the pintaderas were in the shape of a pyramid, like a triangle. Um, and, and they were known to make pottery and they also made pottery beads. They used to wear like bead necklaces and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they also did embalming, uh, which is a kind of a link to the other, the other pyramid exactly. building. Egypt, yeah. Like, and they, uh, they also did um, trepanification tra 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 of, of the heads. They used to drill into the, into the skull. Oh, no way. <laughs> like um, lobotomy or something, but for a different purpose, yeah. Yeah, well, we, you know, again, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, information about that. What, why did people drill holes in their head, you mm -hmm. know? 
exactly. And Steve, um, before we go on, um, that's this pyramid. I know you said um, that um, the other pyramids, you said they're more impressive. Was it um, in the construction of it or was it the size of them? The, the size, because I, I am going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to tell your viewers and everybody, and I've told people this as well, that there are like, you know, pyramid constructions on Tenerife, mm -hmm. which are terrible. They're a really bad example. If you're trying to sell the idea of pyramids on Tenerife, the Guanches made and all this, if you show them like a really impressive one, you can say, oh, wow, look at that. Yes, that must have spent a lot of time making that. These right. people obviously knew what they were. There are also like really small constructions, um, which, in fact, there's a little, there's a place called um, uh, Santo Domingo. And uh, th there's one of these very small pyramids there. And I only found it because what had happened with me, I've become like really excited about the whole, the mystery of pyramids, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm looking out for these things and I'm on a bus and I, I look out the window the one day and I thought, oh, look at that. There's a, a pyramid down in this land, like down from, you know, the road where the bus is. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a pyramid, but it's really small. But having said that it's really small, it's also got a kind of um, like a ramp going up it, like uh, something you could, you could climb up. Mm -hmm. And part of, the, part of why I, I say that it's, it was authentic is because some of the other pyramids, including the ones that in the, the Guimar Ethnographic Park, mm -hmm. have got like little step staircase, like a ramp to go up. Mm -hmm. And the idea was, and again, we don't know for sure, but the idea was that, uh, say, um, midsummer solstice, that you could have like some kind of a, a ritual or ceremony on there, mm -hmm. and a person could go up the steps to, 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 to meet the sun, if you like, you know, mm -hmm. on the, the, the platform at the top. Um, so they did have these kind of stepped staircases on, on these constructions. Mm -hmm. But what, I, what I'm really getting to is that this one in, in Santo Domingo, it's small. You know, it's not very, you know, you could say, yes, it's got levels to it. It's a step pyramid. Yes, it's mm -hmm. got some kind of a little staircase going up it. But size-wise, mm -hmm. you know, it's terrible. I mean, you could fit it in this room where I am easily. Oh, that's small. Yeah, yeah, that, that's small. So. Oh. So that, that's not very impressive. But if you right. see like this one in, in Santa de Barbara, mm -hmm. Santa Barbara that I'm talking about, it's big, you know, and you can see it from the road and it's over there in this field, within this farmer's field. You can see, I mean, look at that, it's big. So mm -hmm. uh, the size thing to me is, is part of the, of why they would be impressive or not. Yeah. But also, mm -hmm. also you can see actually this one behind me, this is quite big, you know. Yeah. Um, how big, how big would you say those steps are? I mean, if a person stood up there, would you be able to, yeah. Yeah. The, the, like from one level to another, it's not that, you know, it, it's not that, in, you know, big really. Mm -hmm. uh, steps aren't big. The, the, the construction is. And uh, uh. why I, I'm trying to say that the, the construction doesn't really hold up as a pile of stones. I mean, okay. The small one in Santa Domingo, it's like a pile of stones right. that's had a lot of work done to it, put levels to it. But if you see some of these really big ones, they're like, even if they, and I've thought about this, I've thought, okay, maybe we had some Spanish farmers back whenever, and they had, they were trying to clear their land, and they, they had like a team of workmen with and they said, all right, you know, today we want you to, to get rid of all this here, and we want you to make a pile of stones over there. Right. Um, right. You know, 
And John said we'd do it in a step fashion. Seemed like it'd be more of a heap, you know. Yeah, instead of, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be rough. You wouldn't have like all these <laughs> exactly like a, a plateau, a flat piece at the top. Yeah, you know, I I, I can't see that that happening. Mm -mm. Uh, but the other, and this is a part of the problem, is that with all of them, mm -hmm. uh, there's been so much wear and tear over the years that some of them have got like the sides falling away, or they've got plants and bushes and stuff growing mm -hmm. in them and so and that would lead to it looking rough yeah we can't see what they were like originally there's no right. way we can do that. and why I, I i try to say that i think fred olsen and thor Heyerdahl said you know mm -hmm. obviously they had a team of workmen working for them and, and they could say now we want you now to tidy this this construction up here we want like the sides to be nice and neat and we want we don't want any weeds and plants growing all over it mm -hmm. and to make the top like really flat and you know I, i'm sure that they were cosmetically enhanced by you know work when they had working for them um but and, and so you know in some ways i think you can get a better a better reality if you like by going to see these um untouched ones in a farmer's field like this one behind me you can see mm -hmm. like that and if it still stands up as something which is really impressive and you can see definite levels to it mm -hmm. that to me is, is is more uh evidence if you like of it being an authentic pyramid construction mm -hmm. and so steve um just so happens last night i was watching apocalypto went by mel gibson and right. you know, he's talking about the stepped uh, the pyramids you know i know you see them the <laughs> yeah rolling the heads down the pyramids yeah when you're talking about the step pyramids that came to mind now right. um yeah one thing another thing i wanted to talk to you about um uh, this place that, um, who was it, Homer or Plato or somebody way back in the days talking about the city of Atlantis. And from what I was reading in videos, it seemed to think that Atlantis may have been in Spain somewhere or perhaps near the Canary Islands or something. You know anything about that? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. I mean, that, that's like a massive subject. But, uh -oh. um, I think I mentioned earlier that look, some people thought that the Guanches were actually descendants of the Atlanteans and that you mm -hmm. know, they survived because they were on these, uh, well, mountains, which would have been the, the peaks of, of Atlantis as it was. But right. that idea more or less got thrown out. But what did happen for me is when I first went to Tenerife mm -hmm. and I, I found out about the Guanches and pyramids and stuff, I also found out, because I started Googling and, and looking online for what can I find out about all this. And, and I came across um, a guy called Professor Aricio Dos Santos. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he had an Atlantean site and he became like an expert on Atlantis with a completely new theory. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I started corresponding with, with Aricio. And uh, again, sadly, he's no longer with us. So some, you know, we can't consult him, but we can consult his site. And if you want to uh, have a look at his website, which has recently been, you know, completely like reformatted because it, again, it, it had problems. The site got hacked. A lot of it went, went down, but it's all been put together. And uh, it's a wonderful site. It's called uh, atlan.org. Um, if, you, if, you, if you Google that, just atlan.org, you will find this site. It's about Atlantis. Professor Santos, um, I came across him, as I say, and I, I started talking to him like email-wise, and, and uh, I found him because I was looking for stuff on the Guanches, and he'd written about the Guanches. Mm -hmm. And 
he was uh, um, he is not saying he's not saying at all that um, that Atlantis is in Europe in in, in, in any of the play. What he's saying is it's in. We, okay, what Professor Santos was saying is Atlantis definitely existed, mm-hmm. and if you wanted to find it today, it's under the South China Sea and Indonesia. And what is Indonesia today was what is left of, of what would have been Atlantis, the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, what he said was that, because you mentioned Plato, what he said was that Pla- what Plato had written uh, was true, but it was misinterpreted. People got the wrong idea. So they, they were looking in the wrong part. So the reason that nobody's ever found Atlantis and, and said, this is it, and we can prove it, and, and, and you know, it's peer-reviewed, and everybody's saying, yes, okay, that, that's it. That couldn't be done because they were all looking in the wrong place. And so it wasn't in the Mediterranean. It wasn't Crete. It wasn't any of these places that have been, you know, put forward as where it was. It was the South China Sea and all the islands which now make up what we call Indonesia. And what he says is it went in in about 11,600 years ago, uh, which was the end of the Ice Age. And uh, Professor Santos thought that there were like massive volcanic eruptions which, which went on, which caused a tsunami, which went completely like all over the place, like really massive t- t- tsunami, mm-hmm. and it drowned that land, which was Atlantis. And what he thought as well was that the, uh, the Indian, uh, well, the India, basically, um, India would have been... Uh, almost like a, col- a colony of the Atlanteans because it was, it was next to it, mm-hmm. okay? And so we have like what are known as uh, the, the Vedas. I'm sure you know about, the, you know, the Vedic, um, uh, well, the Vedas, which mm-hmm. became like the basics for the Hindu religion and, and all of that stuff and, and the deities, which are the, the Vedic deities. These books were believed to be like some of the oldest texts that, that exist, the, the Vedas, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so what Professor Santos was saying is that, yes, that was all written, and this was like a, a colony of, of what was Atlantis, which would have been, which went under. And uh, he also thought that there were like other colonies around, the, but the, the world was so, so completely devastated with not only the tsunami, but also the b- volcanic cloud which went up and which darkened, you know, mm-hmm. the skies. So most stuff died. Okay? So a nuclear winter. I mean, not yeah, nuclear yeah, yeah. winter, volcanic winter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. volcanic, yeah, really yeah. bad. Right. And so that anybody that survived all that had to then kind of rebuild again and, 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 and kind of try and explain all this again and, 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 and carry on. But it was basically like world devastation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, he thought... Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he, he, he thought that the... You know, the Bible story of the flood was a, a kind of a memory of this. And, and the Bible idea of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden would have been Atlantis before the flood. Understood. Yeah. Well, what about the epic um, story of Gilgamesh? I think they were yeah, that's the... right, and Gilgamesh, that's right. Yeah. All of this stuff referred to the same, the same thing, which was this massive flood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, uh, so so that was that was another part of like my journey, my my experience. It's like I, I started, you know, talking to Professor Santos, and mm-hmm. he also told me that like when he started uh, investigating Atlantis, he didn't believe in it. He was a skeptic, 
and he, he didn't think he was going to find out it was real. He thought he was going to find out the opposite. So he could say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a professor. I've investigated all this. And it's actually mm -hmm. a lot of rubbish. He, he found that as he was investigating it, he became more and more convinced that it was real. And so it became, uh, he did something like 20 to 30 years of, of investigations of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Most of his findings are now on that, that site I told you about, atlant.org. Mm -hmm. And he... He, he also, he, he had a kind of idea that it was like really important for him, like a, almost like a mission to be getting this information out to the rest of the world because he feared that this was going to happen again. And uh, I, I kind of, I could understand what he was talking about. And so I've mentioned all this in my book, Saving Mother Oceans. This is where I kind of, I come in on this personally because I thought, uh, I'm sure like, you know, well, what I think a lot of people know that like if the, if the sea levels keep rising because all the ice melts, mm -hmm. the coastal cities are going under. Oh, they're gone, yes. <laughs> and civilization as we know it is going to be like ruined, basically, if the mm -hmm. sea levels go up enough and we get coastal floodings. It, you know, the civilization we know it is gone, yeah? So I've been thinking about that and I thought, Okay, this is it's it's almost like a like the Atlantis scenario. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned all this in my book, Saving Mother Ocean. But um, it it's it, it's like all this stuff. Uh, it, for me, I have like personal connections with things mm -hmm. because you know it's like. I went to Tenerife. I didn't know much about Tenerife. I got there. I started to find out about pyramids and guanches because I found out about that. I found out about Professor Santos. I get in touch with him. He tells me all the stuff, his theories about Atlantis. And it's like, it's all, all of it for me is an ongoing thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I cannot give anybody a definite thing and say, yes, this is for sure. And, and all of, you know, the academics and the scientists all agree that this is established. Right. You can't really do that. Yeah, the jury's um, still out on much of this. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the tell, tell me so, Steve. It seems like no matter what pyramid we look at, whether these be here near the Canary Islands, um, the ones they have in South America, the ones they have over there in Egypt, it seems like the Egyptologists, the, um, the, um, the experts, so to speak, it seems like they all um, want to um, keep the time frame not like 11,000 years ago. They seem like they want to keep the time frame more recent when it seems like the evidence that's showing that these structures are older than what these um, academics are um, putting out there and stuff. What do you think the case? Why, why is that the case? What do you think they're up to? Well, I, I think uh, I know exactly what you're talking about there, Brian. And I think uh, the idea is, is that um, they don't really want... Uh, people in general to be thinking about uh, that civilization as, as such has existed a lot longer than what we're taught. Mm -hmm. That is the general, that's the general idea. I think that the idea is that um, something like 6,000 years ago, which has been called the dawn of civilization, mm -hmm. they want the public at large and, and everybody, everybody basically mm -hmm. to think, okay, um, civilization started around the time of the Phoenicians, and um, and that was around six, you know, six thousand years ago. The Egyptians, we had the Romans, the Egyptians, we had these great empires, mm -hmm. and and it's all it's all kind of evolved from that. But there was nothing before all that. Right. 
So they don't want they don't want us talking about you know stuff fifteen thousand years, twenty thousand yeah. years ago. Yeah, there had to be something before the Samaritans. I mean, where the Samaritans came from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit like like the yeah. Egyptians. You can say, well, I've heard. That. I'm sure you've heard this. It's saying, all right, so. There was these Egyptians in Egypt, and they had pyramids, and they had their pharaohs, and they had all this stuff, hieroglyphics. And, right. Did they, were, they, were they suddenly there? Like, you know, how did they suddenly get to be there in Egypt with all this stuff, with, with the, their, their headdresses and their, their, their hieroglyphics and their pyramids and all the stuff we associate with Egypt? Mm-hmm. Surely, you know, surely it, 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 it kind of evolved over a period of time. Right. I wanted to clear up something. I said Samaritans. I meant Sumerians. Yeah, you know, Sumerian people. I said Samaritans. <laughs> yeah, Sumerians, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's also the Carthaginians. Right. Some more, but, but I mean, they were okay. There were a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. different, very big cultures around at that time. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we don't go back. The, the history doesn't go back much you know, beyond, like, I think about 6,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, okay, and maybe the, the Vedas, the, the Indian, mm-hmm. I think that's a bit before that, but that's it. Yeah. So basically what, what we're taught is that there was no re- written records, there was no history, there was no civilizations, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and, I don't know if it's the case um, with the pyramids where you're at, um, I keep forgetting how to pronounce it, the Guanche people. Um, yeah, and know like um, the people um, in Peru, I believe where it is, where they had the ruins there. A lot of the people, um, the, the inhabitants there were saying that those pyramids were there when they got there. Then I hear um, people in Egypt saying something similar, like um, the, the pyramids were there when they got there. And I was wondering, is the case with these pyramids where you're at? Were they there when the people got there? Um, are people saying that? I, you know, yeah, 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 that's another possibility. As I said, um, yeah, Thor Heyerdahl and, and, and Fred Olson, and, and though, you know, I'm not saying for sure that yes, yes, the, the Guanches definitely made these. Mm-hmm. And that leaves it open to, it, it is possible that somebody else made them before the Guanches got there. That mm-hmm. there was some other, because basically what, what Thor Heyerdahl was saying and, and what he, if, if you like, proved with his Contiki raft, was it po- was possible for, um, people to cross the oceans on a raft. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to say that there, were, uh, there was an interchange um, of culture and, 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 and everything else uh, by ocean-going peoples who used rafts before mm-hmm. the, the ships and the boats that we, we know today, and even, say, in Roman times, mm-hmm. that they had other ways of crossing the ocean. Ocean currents. Ocean, ocean currents, yeah, yeah, and rafts. Yes. You know, which, yeah, which he could... You know, you you could you could sail on, and so uh, it, that that leaves it open to saying that there were like um, a lot of a lot of cultures like before mm-hmm. uh, that that were traveling around the world, and were inter- it, there was an interchange about their belief systems and and and, and, and their, their cultures, you know. Right, and uh, we don't. We just don't really know, you know, we don't know, we don't know, like, as I said earlier, that like some stuff has been thrown out, for example, the Vikings mm-hmm. uh, went to the Canary Islands and settled there. Wait a minute, that's, that's been thrown out? Because it seems plausible, because they were um, ser- um, seafaring people. Yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah, that's also true, because yeah, we also do know that the Vikings moved about all over, the, there were mm-hmm. lots of people that moved about all over the place. 
and uh, it's 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 very difficult to get any kind of definite conclusions on that. Mm -hmm. um, let, let, Steve, let's um, branch off to a little woo-woo, perhaps conspiracy stuff. Um, those pyramids, ones in Egypt and stuff, were they built by people or aliens? <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm going to go with they were made by people. Yeah, I looked at them. I was like looking at a video of it a few days ago. And, um, you know, you can see all the deterioration. But from the video I was looking at, um, people made that. I mean, I'm just looking at it. That looked like something that people did or not. And I'm like, whether or not they were people from uh, more recent times or far, far back, I don't know. But from looking at it, you could tell people made that. I don't think we need to um, bring in aliens or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think we need any aliens, build, right. alien builders for, for the pyramid or for, for Stonehenge. You know, it's another... Still impressive, though. Look at the size of those stones. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Massive. Um, and, and, and actually, I'm, I'm just thinking about that there's a, a place in, in Wales, in South Wales, that I, I know of. Called mm -hmm. the um, it's called Tinkingswood Burial Chamber. And, and it's got a capstone there, which is, which is said to be the biggest capstone in Britain. And I'm sure it is. And I, I once took a, like a film crew there. Mm -hmm. And... and, and the guy, you know, was leaving. He's like, "Wow, look at that! I didn't know anything like." This. He, he said, "I didn't know anything like this existed in in Britain because mm. it's huge. It's this huge capstone on top of this uh, this construction." And I remember thinking, like, you know, how did the people move that? You know, because it's so big. You think uh, you. And then I, I started, to, and I've thought a lot about this, that basically like Britain, which is not that big a place, mm -hmm. it's got lots of constructions in it. Maybe Stonehenge is the most famous, but then you've got also the Avery Stones. And, but there are, there are like stone circles and, 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 and standing stones. And if you like, all over Britain, you know, mm -hmm. up in Scotland, on some of the islands in Scotland and uh, all over Ireland and all over Wales. And so... You know, you must have had like a lot of people working on these constructions mm -hmm. and they moved very, very big stones. Seemed um, like with relative ease. Yeah, yeah well, and, and also the people can't do it today. I remember this going back some years. They tried to move one, only one stone from the Priscelli Mountains in, in West Wales. Yeah, mm -hmm. They were going to try and move that to the Stonehenge area to show it could be done, you know, with, with ropes and pulleys right. and whatever. And, and, and they failed. I think they got, they got it as far as Milford Haven Dock, and it went in the water, and that was the end of it. And that was with modern people, with modern technologies and all this, they couldn't do it. But we're led to believe that somehow or other, it, you know, long ago, people, primitive people, were able to move these huge rocks and West Wales, move them right across the country, take them right over to Stonehenge, mm -hmm. and then to erect them. Yeah, didn't pile them straight up. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, they could do all that. So, so but, are you, um, so is it safe to say you're the mindset that um, civilization um, is on the rebound? Instead uh, of um, instead of us progressing, you know, to this technological, you know, stay where we at now. You think maybe we had some technology back in the days; it was destroyed, and then we had to relearn. You think that's where humanity is now? No, I, I, I don't. Think, I, I, I think I think they did it by brute force. Really, I think what actually happened was that they had a, a lot of a lot of people, you know, workers, and, and they did it with. 
you know, with labor, with, with, with hands on, right? We, I mean, they've obviously had some kind of leader, a, tr a tribal leader, and they'd say, yeah. all right, what we want, we, we need this done, or, we, or I need you to take this and bring that and put with. However, they had, they had some kind of the leaders, you know, um, uh, and maybe these leaders were like some kind of shaman, or maybe they were like some kind of a king, or whatever, whatever they were, they were able to tell the other people, this is what we want, you know? Right. And it was done by sheer uh, hard work. You know, wow. the, like if you if you had like a really big rock, mm -hmm. and and you had you had a team of workmen to, uh, and and you said like I want this rock moved from here, and it's got to be moved to there, and then I want you to dig a hole and put that rock in it. Right. Then th you would have had like a lot of men working on it. You would have had a lot of time spent doing it, and and they would have just done it somehow or other, you know, physically. I think it was all done physically. I don't think it was done with um, any kind of, you know, uh, advanced alien technology. Or, <laughs> right. I, I think it was all done, you know, by, by literal, very, very hard physical work. Incredible. Yeah, reading, um, probably um, getting a lot of mixed information. I was reading about the time frame. Some, some of the stuff I read about the pyramid said it was generational. And then um, some of them said it was constructed relatively quick. And then they went through the, um, the math of saying, well, in order to erect this thing with a certain amount of stones over a certain amount of period, it said it took like about 20 years or so, which I don't believe that. That's a lot of stones, millions of stones. The place yeah, up yeah. there, nah, I think it took a lot longer than 20 years or so. And, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I, I think a lot of time was spent like creating these these constructions and stone circles and pyramids and all of it. I think it must have taken a very long time. Mm -hmm. I think I think they had very large teams of, of, of workers, and I think they spent a long, long time putting these things together. Yeah, I'm sure you heard uh, various um, theories about how it was done. Um, Rams, I'm sure you heard that one. You got any favorite ideas about how they constructed those? Because I'm thinking of like the ones behind you. I mean, I love pyramids and stuff, but those don't seem like they're made from large stones. Um, not like the monolithic ones, you know. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Brian, these are not made from large stones. They're made from, they're made from small, small stones, really. On, on the edge, inside the, the middle of that mm -hmm. is basically just like stony earth. Right? It's not like the whole thing is not built of rock. What I'm saying is it, it's built of, of earth with, with small rocks in it. And then it's got like uh, sides and, 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 you know, these parts you can see here as steps have got rocks put there. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of holds all the rest of it in place. Understood. Uh, so it has filler inside, some kind of filler in there. There's like rubble yeah. filler on the inside, dirt rubble. rubble. Filler. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of rubble filler. And that's why, like, the problem is with some of them, which I've seen over the years, the, the wear and tear on them. Sometimes mm -hmm. if, if you lose those rock um, kind of facing the, on a step, mm -hmm. it, it falls away and you get like just earth and, and rock and rubble. And, Understood. And, uh, so that's what led me to think that the ones in, in the Greenmark Park, the ethnographic park, have been tidied up. But, um, you know, if, if, for example, if there was any, like, damage to any of them, mm. then you could have had, like, the workmen could have put, like, another flat rock there to hold that in place. And mm. they've been tidied up, is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, 
And, and I don't know who made them. You know, did the Guanches make them? Did somebody earlier than the Guanches make made them? I don't know. Yeah, um, this um, radiocarbon-14 dating thing, um, it, it, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be all of that great, um, you know, as far as, um, you know, aging, you know, telling the age of things. Um, I was reading, um, you know, in preparation, or, you know, an interview, you know, talk with you, I was reading about um, the weathering that they have found on the pyramids in Egypt. And uh, the debate, um, some people were saying it's wind and sand caused it, then, um, Oh, I can't, um, I don't think it was Graham. I uh, can't, can't recall the um, geologist who went over there. And he looked at it and it said um, that erosion came from water. And they figured the last time it was rains like that had to be about 11,000 years ago, which coincided with some um, natural catastrophe with Earth. You know anything about that? Yeah, um, I was just actually, I'm saying earlier that um, 11, you just said 11,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Professor Santos was saying 11,600 years ago was when Atlantis went. That's around the same, same time frame. Mm -hmm. And uh, which was also the end of the Ice Age. Was that younger Dryas period around all of that stuff that was going on? Uh, um, that's okay, yeah, but um, yeah, they said it was something about some younger drives period where they had the ice agents coming down just tearing up everything, and um, it said that um, something about kind of um, um, caused calamities all over the earth and stuff, you know, when um, the ice age yeah, yeah. and then all that, and it caused um, flooding. And um, what they were saying, the pyramids, whenever the pyramids was constructed, it had to be a lot of water, they said, because of the erosion. And they said the last time they had water was around 11,000 years ago, which coincides with that um, tsunami thing you was talking about. With what I was saying, yeah, with yes. Professor theory, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. incredible. So, so with these, um, these pyramids, do you think, I know it's hard to say because we don't really know who made them and all that, but it seems like somebody had a, oh, come up with another term, but I'm saying somebody had a hard on for pyramids. It seems like everywhere you go, somebody's erecting pyramids. You think there's, there's a connection in that or is it just coincidence? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know what you mean, that it's basically, you know, whoever it was, whoever the tribal leader or the king or whatever they called them, what yeah. was, it was really important for them to get their, their, their people to build these things, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was all over the place. It wasn't just, you know, in Egypt. It was right. all over the, the world. There were people building these pyramid constructions and elsewhere they were building these stone circles like, like Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm in, in, in Portugal, as you know, and there were like stone circles over here as well. Mm -hmm. So this stone circle building was another, I mean, there was a lot of work going on. You know, we, we do know that. There was a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of men employed doing very hard physical labor, building pyramids, building stone circles, building, uh, there was also like the burial mounds. I'm just talking about a burial mound in South Wales with huge capstone on it. It, it, it was a lot, of, a lot of hard labor going on to build all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But it must have been very important to all of the, mm -hmm. the leaders for, you know, for, for whatever tribe of people it was to, to get this stuff done. Right. Um, now, now, I've read that um, the pyramid shape is um, almost like low hanging fruit when it comes to building. It's almost, you know, it's like the easiest kind of way, you know, to do it if you want to build something upwards. They said the pyramid shape is 
probably the easiest way to do it. You know, this is, that's probably why different people in different cultures went through the same way because, you know, it's the simplest way to do it and stuff. You know, I have read that. So maybe that's why we see them all over the place, you know, pyramids like that. Now, the ones that um, I saw in Peru, those things are also massive and they're also intricate. And I can't see how all of these people were doing it with supposedly the primitive tools that they had. How were they, um, you know, fat, um, shaping these stones and cutting them and stuff to such precision? You know, I mean, I'm um, of the mindset that there was some kind of polymer that these people are using some kind of concrete or something, you know, when I look at them, because I just, you know, I've done um, concrete cutting for years. So, you know, I mean, it's not as hard as granite, but I'm familiar with cutting stuff. And, um, you know, I use drills and saws and stuff like that. And just to look at the work they've done, uh, the precision is just amazing. They're supposed to have done that with copper tools. And uh, I, ugh. Oh, oh yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the, uh, the stuff like in Peru and uh, some of the stuff at very, very high altitude as well. So whoever were building these things, we're not building them like on a, on a low level. They, they were building with like low, um, you know, difficult to breathe possibly and, and still, you know, managing to, to construct incredible constructions. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the more you look at this stuff, the more incredible it becomes. That so you had, you know, all this time long, long ago, we had people in different parts of the world building amazing, amazing constructions. Yeah, you know, you, you spoke on um, a couple of things you mentioned in the Bible one time. Well, first of all, when we started talking, you mentioned the pyramid that's behind you and how it's somewhat similar to the mountains that are behind you. And then I was thinking about the biblical story about the Tower of Babel, you know, how they try to build this gigantic structure, you know, to reach to the heavens. Oh, right, to build yeah. it up to, up to heaven. And then God got, you know, didn't like that. He got annoyed. So <laughs> right. he confounded the, the Tower of Babel and the languages so that people couldn't come together yeah. anymore to, to put a plan like this together. Now imagine that structure was made out of stone. I don't think they built a wood structure that high. So they probably was trying to build some type of pyramid too. I'm not certain yeah. how that tower would look. But yeah, it seemed to be the thing to build, you know, like these large structures. There's like a commonality and stuff that runs throughout man. And it's hard for me to think that they're not connected in some way. I just can't see all these large structures being built at all these different places all around the world and perhaps roughly the same time. It seems a little bit more to coincidence. Seems like it had to be the same people or perhaps they went around influencing people. You know? Yeah, I, I was just thinking that, you know, these pyramids in the Canary Islands, mm -hmm. there are like similar pyramids in various other places. I think like Mauritius is one place and also Sicily, I think is another. And, and, and if you go there, they've got pyramids that look very similar to the ones in Tenerife. Hmm. And so it was happening, like in a lot of places, these, these pyramids were being built. Um, now, there was no need for um, a step type of pyramid for um, agriculture, was there? Because when I'm looking at the one behind you, it looked like, you know, you can grow things on those various levels. There's no need for that where you're at, though. Don't they have flat land? But they can grow yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've heard, I, I have actually heard like a, a theory on that. The, the idea is that because you have the, this kind of flat plateau part of the top, mm -hmm. 
you could grow like something like pumpkins, for example, on, on that. Mm -hmm. And you could, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm saying, well, you could do that. Right. But you could also just grow those things on the flat. Yeah. You know, without doing all that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is done. Like if you go to, you know, to Tenerife, Mm -hmm. You can see, you know, pumpkins growing on flat land. Right. Can you can see even in this picture? I don't know, maybe you can see. Yeah. This is, this so, is a so banana plantation. Yeah. So it's not so mountainous that they have to build some kind of terraced um, thing like that. So they have flat land where they can grow things. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 but but having said that, there are also terraced areas. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, some of it. In fact, the Santa, Santa Barbara I was talking about earlier, a lot of the farmland there is also terraced. But, and it's impressively terraced. You know, with, like big walls, stone walls, you know, mm -hmm. dividing one part from another. And so you do have all that. But, but then you have like flat areas within one, one, you know, one section, another section. You have like a, a flat area that... Today, mostly they grow bananas. Um, they also had like a water carrying system, which mm -hmm. still exists to some degree. That you had like channels, um, which had, which had got concrete. And I don't know when when concrete was, was first invented or anything, but basically they were like old concrete water channels from one one terrace to another. Uh, yeah, I don't know about concrete either, but I know the Romans had concrete, so no, it's okay, been so around a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, a lot of work was done. A lot mm -hmm. of work was done. Yeah, so many, so many mysteries, so many mysteries, and I'm glad there's people um, trying to get to the bottom of it, but it seems like you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to get to the bottom. And that's why I keep coming to that. I don't know, is there a conspiracy? Well, I, I don't know. And I hate coming up with conspiracy theories, but it does seem like there's people who don't want us to know things. And I'm wondering what's all the secrecy about? I mean, why? Because to me, it's like a no-brainer. We have these mysteries. Why not try to find out? Why not be as open-minded as possible? But it seems like that's being frowned upon by mostly academics, I believe. Oh, I, I, I totally agree with you, Brian, because, uh, you know, if you like, the, all this Tenerife pyramids, it comes into that, you know, into that kind of uh, way of thinking, basically, because, as I said, I think I said earlier, that we have an archaeology professor that says that they're piles of stones. And because he's an archaeology professor, everyone's going to agree with him. You know, it's, oh, well, that's it, the piles of stones. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's it's frustrating that you can't really get much further than that. Mm -hmm. And if you do go further than that, then it's not it's not considered like uh, real. It's not considered. It's it, you know it, it's just a theory, or it's it's conspiracy conspiracy theory, or mm -hmm. it's it's delusion, or whatever. It, it's not something that everyone can say. Yes, th this is what really happened, mm -hmm. and. Uh, People, people like me, I mean, I, I'm somebody who is, um, I, I, I'm an investigative person. I want to find out about things. And mm -hmm. if you like, for me, it started when I was a child. I think I've talked to you before about when I was a child, I discovered nature. So I wanted to find out about all this mm -hmm. stuff, which for me is amazing. 
I don't kind of stop with just, you know, about the plants and animals on this planet, about oh, this is amazing. I want to find out about all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. if you put me in a place with something like this pyramid construction behind me, I'm like, you know, what is this about? You know, um, and then I try to find out and, 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 I, I, and I, I end up in a mystery. I end up with people saying, oh, Professor Casper says, oh, it's a piles of stones. And then somebody else says, no, no, it was built by the branches. And so <clears throat> I can't get a, a definite answer about, you know, about some of these mysteries. Mm -hmm. But I am somebody who investigates the mysteries of life, I think, is, is what it comes down to. And uh, I, I'm just thinking, actually, about Professor Santos, who uh, I'm just going to show this is This is his book, by the way. Oh, this is... <laughs> Is there a lot of green in it? Mystery in itself, man. I can't see because he is still. Uh, yeah, I see. Um, right there. Uh, right there. Perfect. Okay. Um, he, he told me that. And, oh, by the way, he was a professor of nuclear physics, and, and his, mm -hmm. you know, he had a whole lot of stuff, you know, a fantastic academic background. He's very mm -hmm. impressive in nuclear physics. Mm -hmm. He told me that when he became convinced about Atlantis and started publishing all this stuff on Atlantis, the other academics did, were frowning upon this. They, didn't, they couldn't agree with that. He right. was like letting the side down completely mm -hmm. with this Atlantis stuff. But he carried on anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like he had like a, um, a divided career. He had like his... his academic stuff which was agreed on that nuclear physics that's all fine mm -hmm. but if you start talking about atlantis that's not fine that's mm -hmm. a lot of nonsense mm -hmm. um so you know it, it, it's it's mm -hmm. it, it, it is as it is that we have like almost like two sides of society we have people who say this is what's real this is what you know uh, scientists ac academics and um have agreed on, this is what's been tested, this is what's been peer-reviewed, this is real, this is how it is, and then we have the other people who are not satisfied with that, and, right. and they, are, they are whatever, you know. Yeah, it seems uh, like um, there's a lot of people, like for instance, the guy I was telling you about who went over to Egypt, and he looked at um, the damage um, on the Sphinx, the erosion on the Sphinx, and he said it was water damage. Well, one of the guys who um, supposedly was debunking this, he said like this, he said, um, he was speaking of that guy. He was a geologist. He said they sent, um, how did he put it? They sent the little geologist over there to check it out. And, you know, belittled it with that word, sent the little geologist. Um, yeah. Oh, he was just a geologist. That was his words. Oh, he was just a geologist who looked at it. I'm like, well, who else supposed to be looking at stones and stuff, you know? And then went on to um, his proof was he, then he went on, um, cited another guy who was a geologist. You see what I'm saying? They have roughly the same um, learning and stuff, right? So and this one guy is just a geologist because he didn't say what he liked. Then the geology like, oh, he's a geologist, you know, and he says this is the case. So even when um, being presented with evidence, they kind of pick and choose who they want to listen to. You know what I'm saying? They both got the same qualifications, but in this one, he belittles them. And then the other right. one, yeah, you know, he's supposed to listen to. You see what I'm saying? Right, I get it. So some geology is, is better than other geology. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can trust one type of geologist, but not another. Yes, I guess uh, so. It, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it's like um, the experts. What is it? You're more expert the further away you come. You know, the further the expert travels or something, you're more expert. I don't know if you ever heard that one before. All they know about it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I heard a long time ago, I think it had something to do with a court case or something I was reading about. And um, they had an expert that came from their town, but they didn't want him. They wanted one to fly in from London because he traveled so much more distance. He was more expert because he came from so far. Because he came further. <laughs> yeah, because he came from further away. So he was more expert. And check this out. Um, what else you um, got going on? I know last time I spoke with you, and uh, um, like I was telling people, we were talking about um, where does all the plastic go? And I know you were doing other things like after that. And I saw that you had some performances in a few places and stuff. Um, afterwards, care to talk about that? Matter of fact, um, I think I saw you in quite a few places doing live performances. Did you want to talk about that any? About the plastic? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, all of that's very important to me. But um, yeah. I and I can't remember what we what we were talking about last time. But the, I, I have talked about my my plastic my my song. Where does all the plastic go? And mm -hmm. uh, did I talk about the Ocean Aid project? A little bit. You touched on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, since I was last on your podcast, uh, I, I have had a, a song called Time for Ocean Aid, which I recorded over here in Portugal. And I've sent the, the recording to my friend Crum. And Crum, uh, Crum's main claim to fame, if you like, is he, he once played synthesizer for Hawkwind. Mm. And... Uh, He's, he's had various other bands. In fact, he's got a new band called Star Rats. His band before was called the Moon Loonies. But Crun is, uh, is formerly of Hawkwind. And he's a, he's a synthesizer wizard. You know, he really knows his stuff, his keyboards. Anyway, I sent Crum my recording of Time for Ocean Aid, which was recorded here in Quinta de Conde in Portugal. And Crum liked the song, and he put some, some synthesizer on it. And... Uh, it's it's transformed the song it's like it's now uh it's gone from being kind of a, a an acoustic folk song type protest song which is what it is really, right. to to having like a kind of a space rock synth wave feel to it and somebody else you know called daz who's in his band as well has constructed like a video for it so it's, it's kind of a pretty psychedelic video Mm -hmm. So we have like a music video, psychedelic music video, Time for Ocean Aid, and that's out. But I'm following that with Mother Nature Rap, which I think I was talking about earlier, that mm -hmm. that's been, I've been filmed for Mother Nature Rap. And, uh, and stop me if, if, I, if I'm basically repeating myself. No, that's okay, myself. go ahead, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've been working with a Portuguese filmmaker, Pedro Augusto Almeida. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pedro, like, organized a day for me to be filmed in. So we went to the one studio. Uh, it's a studio, the Nimbo studio, which is near Setubal here. Mm -hmm. And I was filmed in the studio. And so I've got, like, a microphone in front of me, and, and there were lighting on me, and I'm singing and rapping to the, the microphone. Mm -hmm. And then we, we went to somewhere else. Went to this place out in the countryside called Portugal Sende. It's a co-working space, and there uh, I I was being filmed in like, like there was a lot of woodland there, forest, and 
there are clearings in in the in the forest, and I, I'm I'm filmed there like rapping, and and I'm dancing about, and and basically I'm doing like what Pedro was saying, Steve. Now, if you can if you can like dance a bit now, if you can you know come a bit more towards the camera, or if you can go over, I'm doing all that because like he's directing it. You know? Right. So, so I, I'm doing all this stuff. So anyway, they've got like a lot of footage of me in a studio. They've got a lot of footage of me in a, in a forest dancing and rapping. Mm -hmm. And then we did some more like after dark. Okay. And I've got lighting on me. There's trees behind me. And, and then we finished the whole thing with like, there's a video projection behind me into a psychedelic video. Mm -hmm. And I'm going like this, holding my arms out. Yeah. And, and then that's it. And then basically like Pedro and his crew are editing together, you know, a music video for all this. And, and that's just called Mother Nature Rap. And, and it's me in a way, like I, I, I felt kind of motivated to, to write a rap song. I've never done this before. And mm -hmm. I, I thought, okay, I mean, rap music and hip hop music is so popular now mm -hmm. that I thought I could kind of extend my audience a lot if I have, like a song in, in that format. Right. Um, so, so that's like, that's a, a totally a new project of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone that knows about it thinks it's going to be massive. And of course, I'm hoping it, it's going <laughs> to yeah, be. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to go viral. It's just, and it, it, it's, it's going out on my birthday, which is the 21st of March, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I, I think, I, we kind of chose that date because not only is it my birthday, but it's also the first day of spring. It's the vernal equinox. It's also the first day of Aries, which means basically that I, I was born in Aries. I was born the first day of Aries. Mm -hmm. And so those are just some, some little bits of, of information about it, but that was when it's going to be going out. So mother nature rap is coming, coming out the world. You know, it's coming out, it, it's being released. It's, it's mm -hmm. all happening on the 21st of March. And I don't know where it's going to be because I never know where anything's going to be, really. Exactly. You, know, you, you can have like ideas about, about what's going to be happening and, 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 and you have some rough, you can have a rough plan of, of how things are going to happen, mm -hmm. but you never really know for sure. And, and my whole story of, of Tenerife is like that. Like, I knew Tenerife was a great place. I wanted to move there. I did move there, but I didn't know what I was going to find there, you know? And, and uh, this pyramid you can see behind me, like I said earlier, I only found out about that, having moved into this place, Playa de San Marcos, I went walkabout, I went down a little road and I found that. I thought, wow, look at this. Incredible. So you know, there's always things you can find out and there's always like uh, kind of mm -hmm. twists and turns and unexpected things which happen in life. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I, I try to go with, with, with the flow of, of how it's all happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I put my own creative bits and pieces into it and, and, and think, well, okay, this is a good idea. Let's have a go at that. Let's, let's do this. Let's investigate that, whatever it is. And then things then happen, you know. Um, it, it tells, so, Steve, um, about, this, um, about this plastic, I was thinking about ideally, um, I mean, if you had a magic wand and you could just wave it over everything, what would you want? Um, the outcome to be with plastic, just stop using plastic altogether or curtail its use. Um, how, how do you see it happening? What would you like to happen? Uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's possible for, for us to stop using plastic. I think all the people are saying ban plastic. 
stop plastic. This doesn't make any sense because the, almost, you know, most people in, in modern life today depend on plastic. Plastic is a, a huge part of our life. You know, I mean, I, I'm just looking around me now. I can see plastic where you are, Brian, you know. Oh, and yes. My glasses. Plastic, <laughs> yeah. I've got plastic glasses. Yes. On. Like, you know, it's all over the place, you know. Yeah. And it, it's like, we can't, we can't do without it. Also, even my, my computer, this is a plastic laptop computer I got. Exactly. And I, I got a, a microphone here on a plastic microphone stand. It, it's everywhere. And uh, if we, even if we just go into the health sector of life, you know, mm. plastic is being used everywhere. Plastic is, if I go to the dentist, plastic is used in the dentist. We have plastic sheet put on me. Yes. And because of COVID, we have plastic gloves and a plastic, plastic mask and a plastic thing to go over my head. Mm. And all this plastic just to go to the dentist. And then, and then all this stuff has to get thrown away. And... And then it, it, it's, it, it's just everywhere. If I go to the shop, even if I take my own carrier bag, which is what I do do, you know, a reusable carrier bag, right. it is impossible for me to buy all, all the items I want to buy without buying some plastic packaging. Some of the stuff is coming in plastic packaging and it is, look, it's in a plastic bottle, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you could say, all right, well, so, okay, let's say I go to, I go to buy a, a bottle of vitamins, a vitamin supplement. Mm -hmm. It comes in a plastic bottle. And I could maybe shop around for a long time to find one that comes in a, in a glass bottle, but if for convenience sake, I mean, it's all right, I, I'll, I'll accept buying this one in a plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. I go to another part of the supermarket to buy something. And it, again, it comes in a plastic container. You know, it's, it's all this stuff. And, and you, can, you can argue, you can say, all right, I don't want this, it's in plastic. I want this out of the plastic. I, I bought my own bag. And, and you can do that. And I do do that to some degree. And, and a lot of people are doing this to some degree. But it is still impossible, you know, almost impossible, to, to live a normal life without using plastic. It's what, mm -hmm. I, what I'm getting to. Yeah. Would you um, ever want to go back to glass? I, I mean, I remember, I remember the world before plastic became widespread. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah me, me too. I, I can yeah. remember when you had like a milk float, you had a milkman, and he used to come around delivering pints of milk in, in, in bot, pint bottles made of glass, mm -hmm. right? And then these bottles went back and then they, you know, to be used again. Mm -hmm. and, and they also had, we used to have like a man, where, where I lived in, in Wales, they had like a, a lorry came around with bottles of pop. You know, I, I think you'd call it soda, like in, right. in, in the, mm -hmm. America, like soda. And, and it came in glass bottles. So you could buy like lemonade or dandelion and burdock or chariot. You buy this in a glass bottle. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of glass being used then, you know, for, for containing drinks. And you, you could do that again today. Mm -hmm. And it is being done to some degree. Uh, and the fact that it's being done to some degree, what I think... I think if we can reduce, I think that, that's important. I think if we can reduce the amount of plastic being mm -hmm. used, this is really helpful. If we, can, if we can get stuff back into glass, that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's possible for us to rule plastic out. I don't think it's possible for us to ban plastic and, and stop. I think, I think we're, we're, we're stuck with plastic. 
-hmm. But what we should do, what we should do is we should dispose of the plastic responsibly. I think we should do that. I think we should recycle the plastic as much as we can. So that, so that I can't recycle the plastic, but you know, what, what I'm saying is if we can like, um, the, the local authorities, wherever we are, mm -hmm. and the local governments, wherever we are, that if, if, if these people can, can make far more effort than they're currently doing to make sure that the plastic that is, that is waste plastic now is actually recycled, that, that's a help, it's a big right. help. And, and I think that we can, we can refuse plastic to some, de to some degree. As I say, we can't live without it, but we can refuse it to some degree. Like, so, say I go to the supermarket, I go to the grocery store, and I'm going to buy some stuff. And I went today, actually, and there was a lady at, at, you know, in front of me in the queue. Mm -hmm. And the girl behind the cash desk gave her a plastic bag, which she accepted to put all of her shopping in. I had my cloth bag to put my shopping in. And, I, and I'm not saying I'm any better than a lady in front, because I, years ago I used to do the same. I get to the till and they give me a plastic bag. And I, so I had to make an effort. I had to make the effort to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to take my own reusable bag here. But, you know, it is possible to do that. Is what I'm saying. So you can refuse it. You can say, I don't want the plastic bag you're going to give me. I bought my own bag and I can put the things in it. That is something that you can do. And the more people that do that, the better. So that, that's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. But there's so much plastic, I don't think, you know, we can, we can do without it now. No turning back, eh? You know, it's like, even yeah. though, if I pick, I'm picking this computer up here. Like, this, mm -hmm. this, this computer, this laptop computer, I can see that the keyboard section of it and it is plastic. Exactly. I can see that the lead going in, into, into it is plastic. Mm -hmm. like, can, you make, can you make a computer out of, out of something, you know, something else? I don't like, know. Like steel and wood, like metal and wood? <laughs> yeah, steel and wood, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe you could, but... Um, yeah, I don't know either. I kind of want to see that, <laughs> a wooden laptop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Glass, you know, that would be interesting. A yeah, glass, glass, one, glass yeah. laptop, so you could see all the workings inside. You could see all, but then maybe not, because I'm just thinking the wiring. The wiring is, wire is usually covered in plastic. Uh, yeah. yeah. What do we do about the wires, you know? And rubber, I guess we go back to that um, paper insulation again. Rubber and paper insulation. You remember the old cloth wires? I don't know if you remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. back to that. Man, yeah. it's how Steve will hold you up in long what I have already. And, um, you know, as usual, at the end of these podcasts, I'd like to ask you, do you have any um, advice, words of wisdom, anything that you'd like to leave folks with, you know, last words? Well, you know, I, I, think, I, think, the, I think my advice is, is, to, is to take action, you know, for everybody to take action. Uh, in any way they can, you know, what they feel they can do. Like I'm saying, like, I, I take action uh, in, in, in ways that the things that I can do. Like I said, I, I can take like a cloth bag to the, to the shop to, to do my shopping. I don't use a plastic bag anymore. So that's a little bit of action that I've taken. But we can all take, you know, action that, that suits us in our lives, you know. And I just think that the more of us that do anything that we can to help, it's worth doing, you know, and, uh, and even just thinking about stuff, thinking about, 
about what we're doing because a lot of a lot of us are not thinking about this stuff i mean i was just thinking then i was talking to you about you know can you make a laptop that isn't made of plastic and, and we're talking about well maybe you could make one with wood you know <laughs> maybe you could make one with steel maybe you could, i don't know maybe maybe you can maybe we could even get one of those but um there's not enough being being done there's there's, there's a lot of us, myself included, are just going along with life as it's presented. And we're not thinking, can we do this a different way? Can we, you know, could that be, could be made out of something else? Can we, and, and that's like rethinking. And I think rethinking is important. We have to rethink what we're doing. So, but I think the taking action is my main, my main uh, advice, my main thing that I want people to do is to take action. And, and even this, you can see behind me where I am. It was in Tenerife. Mm -hmm. That was the result of action. I decided I was going to go to Tenerife. And, and it was a huge change of life for me to go there. And then when I got there, that was like a new world for me. And so I had to find my way around there. I had to try and learn the language there. I had to, had to find out about how you could get around the island. I had to find out a lot of stuff. And, and so it was all new for me. But it was the result of taking action. It was the result of me saying to myself, Steve, Tenerife is great. You want to live there. Well, go there, you know. And so I did. And, and lots of things which happened in my life are the results of action. For example, I just told you about Mother Nature rap. I've never written a rap song in my life, <laughs> right. you know. And I just thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a rap song because I'm so concerned about the environment. I'm going to have to put this in a, in a format that will reach a lot of people. So let's do this. Mm -hmm. So I've done that. And, and I think that's it. I just think like, you know, the, if, we, if we can take action, that's what's important mm -hmm. in whatever we feel. Like what I mean by that is because I'm a singer-songwriter mm -hmm. and I've written a lot of songs and I thought to myself, well, let's write a rap song. So... It, it, it's basically the same. It's the same creative energy being used. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's a, a different format for the song, mm -hmm. but I've done that. So that was an action. Mm -hmm. And that's it, really. Just, yeah, I, I think that's it. Take action. Bringing awareness is a way to take bring, action. Bringing awareness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and do that as well. <laughs> yes. That's what I am. That's what, well, we're doing that now. You know? mm -hmm. I mean, we've just been talking about all kinds of stuff here. I, I can't remember what we, we, we touched on, but we talked about pyramids and Atlantis. Oh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, have one more thing for you before you left. Um, one thing I've been doing online, I've been asking, answering questions, particularly like in science, when people ask, it, um, do you think there's life else, you know, elsewhere out there in the universe? Um, a lot of people, when they look at the amount of stuff and how big space is, they said, well, there has to be some other kind of life out there. And me, I, I, I agree with them, but I intentionally like to go the opposite way because I'm, my reasoning is that if you believe that life is abundant elsewhere, I think you'll be less inclined to care about here. So if I can get people to think that perhaps we're unique and we're the only ones here, Maybe they'll see how precious this planet is and maybe want to take care of it a little bit better. But yeah, as long as I think people think like we got another life and there's life everywhere else, there's a hell with this planet. There's more of them, you know? But if they think this is precious, that there's nothing else, 
Like I said, maybe they want to take care of this a little bit better. So that's the kind of like the trip I'm on now, you know, when I go around talking to people, trying to get people to think that this place is precious. There's not any more of them. This is the only one we got. We got to take care of this one. So that's the mindset I'm on. So. Brian, I think that's brilliant. And I, I, I agree with you. And I also think, that's kind of an extension to that, as I think about is there life after, after, you know, after death or, mm -hmm. or is this only one life we've got? Mm -hmm. And is there God or is there no God? Or what, like, I can think that if, the, if this is only one life and there is no afterlife and there is no God and, and this is it, we should be thinking, wow, what an amazing life we've got here. You know? yes. That should make this life even more precious, more remarkable, more, more something to, be, you know, to, to care about and, and to enjoy and to you know, to explore and, and to be thankful for and all this. Mm -hmm. But the, in, in some ways, I can see it like if we, if we don't think about an afterlife and we don't believe in God and we don't believe in any, anything more than this is one life we've got, that should make us absolutely so, uh, you know, astounded and, and, and yes. so thankful and so, oh, look at the, this amazing life, even, even each second that we're in, you know, yes. like, oh, wow, I have this second that I'm in, and I have all this around me, and I, I can see all these things, and I can hear all these things, and this is all so incredible. Oh, wow, wow, wow. That's how it should be, you know, yes. without any belief system, without any afterlife, without any God or any religion, mm -hmm. you know, each, each moment that we have is incredible, you know, yes. and I, I think that, and I think, I think that, you know, I, I came to that, like, thinking about what you were saying. If we think, oh, yes, yeah, out there, there's all these other places, and there's all this life. And, 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 if, you, and if you think about, like, afterlife, you think, well, in my afterlife, I can go out there. And so maybe it doesn't really matter about planet Earth. And exactly. It does. It does matter. Yes. You know, I think, I think that, you know, each, each moment... And each thing, I, and that's something else I can think about, each little, little part of, of this planet Earth we're living in, I mean, all this stuff around me right now, like, you know, this plastic mouse here, and these glasses, and my cap, and, and this mic, and, and, and this screen I'm looking at, all of this is all amazing. Like, yeah. how did all this stuff get here? And, and now that it's here, we're, we should be enjoying it. It's like, wow, you know, and I'm talking to you, and you're in America, and I'm over here in Portugal. And this exactly. is really happening at this moment in time. Oh, wow. Isn't that incredible? You know? I, I, so, yeah, I, I can think like that. Yeah. <laughs> Steve. Oh, once again, um, where can people find your work and your books and your songs the, and your videos? The, <laughs> yeah. the easiest way to find me is steveandrews.info. Mm -hmm. Steveandrews. or, or um, what do you call it? Uh, period, you call it in America. Steve right. Andrews, period, info. Mm -hmm. and, and if you go there, and that's my landing page, and then it will also take you to bardofely.org, which is my Bard of Ely site. And, and that, those are like good starting points. Yes. Um, and I was also talking about atlan.org uh, mm -hmm. for Atlantis and, uh, and my... My friend, uh, Professor Santos, that was his site, uh, atlan.org. Mm -hmm. And was there anything else? Uh, uh, let me see. I don't know. I think that was about it. Let me see. Uh, my book, my book. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> my book, Saving, Saving Mother Ocean. Like, yes. if, you, if you just Google Saving Mother Ocean, Steve mm -hmm. Andrews, right. you'll find right. it. 
Yeah, so on Amazon. I'm sorry, we'll go through and put all these links in the description for you. So um, people can find you and find your work. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, Brian, is that, see, when I got involved in all this, trying to find out about the Guanches and the pyramids, mm -hmm. I, I found I, I ended up actually in a film uh, called Savages in Foreign Lands because um, Raphael Biss was a film director and he was making a film that I just gave the title of about the, uh, the Canary Islands and about the mystery of the Guanches and about the pyramids. And so uh, he interviewed me. And we also went out to some of the sites. He went to Santa Barbara that I was talking you about. So I got to show him the pyramids there. And he got to see the pyramid behind me here in the Camino de la Suerte. And Raphael became a very good friend of, of mine. And, and I was in his film. And uh, that, that was something else that, that happened, you know, when wow. uh, as a result of me trying to find out about the Guanches and, and the pyramids of Tenerife. Um, and I, I'm very, very proud to be in that film. Um, and uh, it, it was also, I think, you know, part of that film was putting forward the idea that the, the Romans brought the Guanches there. Um, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, um, it's a beautiful thing when we go on these um, adventures. We never really know where they're going to take you. You may have some idea in your mind, but when you start, you know, taking those steps, the journey that you're on, it just keeps leading you to cool places, places that you probably never even imagined that you'd be going. Oh, yeah, very, very much so. You know, I, I, my, my life in Tenerife was like that a lot. You know, I, I didn't really know what I was going to find out next. Um, I, remember, I remember thinking and saying that, you know, when I lived there, that, I could lead a whole life living in Tenerife and still be finding out more and more and finding more stuff to do. Because it, even though it's quite a small island, there's just so much there, you know? And, and there's so much that people don't know about. You know, when, when I say the people, I mean just, you know, tourists to go there. Because the tourists to go there usually just see the beaches and the bars and all of that down the south. They don't see all this other amazing stuff in Tenerife, but there are like cloud forests and there are all types of different mountains and, and pine forests. And, and there were like, there, there was even like a cave community, this place called Chinamada, where there are, I think, 32 houses and they're all actually caves. They're not just caves, like rough caves like they used to be, but they, they've been built up so they've got like maybe a wall and maybe a front door and a path or something, and they've got electricity, but otherwise they, they're caves. And, and so all, all the people who live in Chinamada are living in caves. And that was a place I found out about. And I, so I went there and I, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, not, and, not trying to put blame anywhere, but it seems like, um, I think you were telling me that when tourists come there, they kind of send them to the nice area where the temperature is pretty good. You know, so maybe if they stop, I don't know, directing people that way and it started directing them, all over the place, maybe they get to see more of these things that you're talking about that they don't get to see. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. I, you know, the, the, most of the tourists get sent down to the south to the, the sunshine, the beaches and the bars, yeah. and they miss yeah. out on so much. Yeah. And uh, something else that, you know, I, I just had to talk about this was the, the dragon trees of Tenerife. The dragon trees became like something that I discovered again when I went to Tenerife. And I, I remember the first dragon tree I saw I was with my friend Priscilla Hernandez, who was the friend that I had 
that I'd been talking to before I ever went to Tenerife. Mm-hmm. She lived there. And I went over to visit like on a short holiday. And I, and I was with Priscilla and we saw this dragon tree. And I said, wow, look at that. What is that? And she said, it's a dragon tree, Steve. And I'd never seen one before. But for I've me, never it was heard a- of it. I have never, to put a, no, never heard of them. I have to put a picture up here for people, um, other people like me who haven't seen it. I'll make sure I have one to this video. Could you describe oh, yeah. it real quick, though? What's it about? Yeah, yeah. The, the dragon tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, the dragon tree, by the way, is actually in, in my book, Herbs of, of the Sun, Moon, and Planets, because the dragon tree was thought of as a herb of Mars. Okay. But the, the, the dragon tree, it, it's, if you cut it, it, um, the, the resin, the sap that comes out, when it dries, it, it goes red. So they call that dragon's blood. But the tree is like, it's just so weird. Like it just goes up and then it branches out and it's got like these really big spiky leaves. And there's one called the Drago Millenario, which is in a town called Ico de los Vinos, okay? And, and that dragon tree there is believed to be a thousand years old. And it's called the Drago Millenario. Some people have said it's maybe 3,000 years old, but wow. however old it is, it's old, it's big, and it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that tree, and, it was like, and I, I know I say wow a lot. It was like, wow, <laughs> it's a huge tree. Oh, wow. It's incredible. Do they have and any so, uses for that tree? Any medicinal, or do they use a building or anything? Yeah, there were uses for I mean, I've heard that the, the Guanches used to make shields out of it. And I also, I heard that, oh, this is, this was unfortunate, that a lot of the dragon trees got cut down when the islands got colonized uh, because they could use it in making varnish. They, they used the, the dragon's blood. And that red, varnish. yeah, the red liquid in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and I, I've also heard that it's good for, for, for gum disease. You can, like, you can use dragon trees. But, oh, wow. So those are the uses. But otherwise, I mean, it's used today. It's just an ornamental plant. If you go to Tenerife, there are, there are far more dragon trees growing in gardens and parks than growing in the wild. It's, it's a rare and endangered plant in the wild now, mm-hmm. but people grow them in gardens. I'm over here in Portugal. Uh, I went to Lisbon and I go into a park there and it's a dragon tree. Oh, wow, there's a dragon tree. So what I'm saying is that dragon trees have been planted in, in, in parks and gardens in many parts of the world now, and that they are actually surviving mostly because people are doing that because they you know that they've been um rendered very very rare in the wild right you know that's um excuse me reminiscent of the big cats um i think um if i'm not mistaken i think texas they supposedly have more um pet big cats you know than there are like in the wild Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know they haven't been back. It's going that way that you know the, yeah. the, the, a lot of like species are, are safer in you know human cultivation or or captivity than they are living in the in the natural environment. Yeah, sad but true. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely yeah. sad but true. And Steve, um, once again, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. Let me say goodbye to everybody. Be right back with you. All right. In one moment. All right. Everybody, it's the end of another podcast and stuff. Once again, thank you guys for joining us. Um, don't forget to check out our previous Yambar podcast guests. And um, always remember that the Yambar podcast is the place where you make it happen. Once again, my name is Brian Barcelo, host of this episode, along with Steve Andrews, the Bard of Ely. Steve, thank you so much. 
Thank you, Brian. It's been a real pleasure being here and talking to you about all this amazing stuff. Uh, you're Thank the best, you. Steve. Thank you. Peace, everybody. Yeah.